0: Hey, this is Arif Rahman. Uh, I'm a Bangladeshi blogger currently living in the UK. And I certainly do not listen
1: to I Doubt It With Dolmar.
2: The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dallimore. Welcome to the party, everybody. Episode 147 of I Doubt It with Dallimore. I am your host, Jesse Dallimore. And sitting across from me, the 60-year-old lady in a 20-something body, my co-host, Brittany Page.
1: That could mean a lot of different things. I mean, you could be speaking to many different things. <laughs> my my love of naps.
2: Your deep desire to be menopausal.
1: Um, <laughs> no, I don't think that. No. Well,
2: the reason I say that, and welcome to you too, Brittany Page. Oh yes, thanks yes. for showing up today. You're welcome, sir. The, the reason that I call you a 60-year-old woman in a 20-something body is because you are often accused of being a 60-year-old lady.
1: No, it's not a 60-year-old lady. I've been told I'm like a a 60-year-old black man, actually.
2: Well, just recently after this last, last occasion that you got called it, they said you're secretly 60. Okay. That's where I get that from. Mm-hmm. But definitely, you've been called by friends of ours, by one of our few <laughs> <laughs> black friends, that you are a 60-year-old black man. Yes. Because of your love of disco and earth, wind, and fire, and your your deep understanding and knowledge of that era of music.
1: Yeah. 70s, R&B, funk. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah, you're a you're a Bill Withers. You, if Bill Withers was dead right now, you would be his reincarnation. Other than the fact that you have no musical ability whatsoever.
1: What a tremendous <laughs> compliment! Thank you.
2: Right. Well, you, that's what I do—that's.
1: I wish I could be Bill Withers. So
2: here's what happened the other day. I walk in to <laughs> the room, and oh. Brittany is is having. There's no other way to put it, but you were having a partridge family party. Uh huh. A partridge family party for one. Mm -hmm. And you were the only one who was invited. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell was going on?
1: Well, I was watching partridge family clips, but only of the songs. Yes. Yes. How good is this? How good is this song? (laughs) <laughs> you, you're not playing enough of it. It's really good. Anyway, so I was watching Partridge Family videos, only when they're singing the songs because that's the best part. And um, yeah, I was having a great time. And then you walk in and criticize me, and I don't really appreciate I, that.
2: I think that's a little hyperbolic that I was criticizing you. I just I found it odd that you were going down the the deep rabbit hole of YouTube, but instead of watching you know, whatever, you're watching Partridge Family Clips.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, maybe there's some people who look at my my taste in music and, you know, I, I love like Zap and Roger and The Gap Band and, I don't know, Destination, like these, these 70s disco funk, even 80s funk the, era. Th-
2: there was a time, uh, this was several years ago, probably... Mm, Four years ago three or four years ago and i was in i almost said i starred, but i was in a commercial for men's warehouse mm-hmm. a national commercial yeah dude mm, my own horn a little bit you anyway were. so Brittany. she accompanied me one night to dinner they took us all out to dinner the cast of the, the cast. stars of yeah, the, the, the commercial. stars of my 15 second fucking commercial anyway they took us all to dinner and uh, there was a lot of the same demographic that Britney gets accused of being, they were there. Britney, there were a bunch of, you know, 55 to 60-year-old black dudes, Mm -hmm. and I challenged them to a quiz, a music off, knowledge off with Britney, and there were some cocky attitudes about how they were going to wipe the floor with you, and they started just peppering you with questions, and you you were just rocking their worlds. They were in shock. It was weird.
1: Yeah, um, that that did happen. Um, <laughs> it, that was a fun experience. But back to what I was saying before I was rudely interrupted. Hey,
2: sometimes I like to toot my own horn.
1: I think there are people who... Look at my look at my taste in music and think I'm trying to be like ironic or it's oh, like right, something right. about myself that is like I'm trying to be cool and yeah, different. It's like, like
2: when I was in high school, I was very much into jazz and like Harry Connick Jr. Mm-hmm. and Charlie Parker. Mm-hmm. And my mom, my fundamentalist Christian mom, thought I was trying to be rebellious. <laughs> like oh, you're you're just being rebellious because I liked like swing and mm-hmm. jazz.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. But you,
2: it's not. You're not doing it to be to, to make a statement about how oh different you are, and uh, you really you you did like when we went to Earth, Wind, and Fire at the Hollywood Bowl, it was like a religious experience for you. You cried. You you <laughs> it, it was you did, and you can't you can't fucking deny it. No, I did. It was an emotional thing for you.
1: Yeah, I cried, and I do describe it as a spiritual experience, um, <laughs> which makes me sound like a weirdo, but. I was raised on this music. I was raised on Earth, Wind & Fire, the Gap Band, the Spinners. I mean, all this stuff, that's that's what I was raised on. Right. And and I didn't know like what 90s music was. I mean, I, I wasn't listening to that stuff. I was listening to the best music that's ever been created. And so I still am very fond of it. And I prefer to watch the Partridge Family videos in my free time. That's right. just the way things go now.
2: It, it is how, how things go. Sorry. Sorry. The other way that things go is by our audience communicating with us via our voicemail line, 657 464 7609. As I always say, if you are voicemail averse, you can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at We actually had a couple of different voicemails. One, we will break the mold and feature during the Doll segment because it has directly, it deals directly with politics and Donald Trump and the debate. However, this voicemail we're going to get to because it dealt with our emotional breakdown, the first time that Brittany and I have both succumbed to our our, our deeply held passions and emotions Mm -hmm. and cried simultaneously (laughs) on the show.
1: And not because of Earth, Wind, and Fire. That's
2: right, it's not. It's because of the Humans of Dublin piece that we read. And apparently it wasn't just us who was moved by it, our audience also felt it.
4: God fucking damn it. (laughs) Jesse and Brittany. (laughs) This is Austin from Boise. I uh, just got done listening to episode 145. And there's a reason why I stopped following the people of New York thing on Facebook because Jesus Christ... (laughs) I'm sitting at work, and all of a sudden, you guys start launching this people of Dublin deal, and this guy cannot contain himself from uncontrollably sobbing on the job, and I'm working commercial landscape outside with, you know, some pretty quote-unquote tough guys. (sighs) Thanks for making me look like a giant pussy. (laughs) I love you guys lots, though I hate you right now. Uh, you guys mean a lot to me. I listen to you guys just about every single day that I work, and I've been listening to every single episode that I miss somehow. Um, keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate it lots. Love you both.
2: Thank you very very much.
1: Yes, we we apologize for making you cry. I, while I do at work. not.
2: I do not apologize. <laughs> In fact, uh, to put it more, to kind of go the other way with it. I I find very deep pride in the <laughs> fact that we're able to affect an audience like that. I yeah. mean, notwithstanding the fact that you probably got beat up or made fun of by your tough manly man co-workers. Oh, no. It's awesome. Th- th- listen, I, to be able to reach people on that level is, is something that's a beautiful thing. And I really appreciate you reaching out, Austin from Boise, Idaho, to let us know that... It affected you the same way that it affected us.
1: Right. Because I told Jesse, I said, I, I don't think I can read it without crying. And he said, OK, you were for sure doing that then. And I said, well, um,
2: I hadn't read it yet. I wanted it clean. Mm-hmm. And I probably could have gotten through it. But the mirror neurons started kicking in. I'm watching you cry.
5: Mm-hmm. And Chris, mm-hmm. Chris
2: Hoff, host of the Radical Therapist podcast, was here in studio to talk about bias free language and he just stayed the whole episode mm-hmm. and between the two of you because he's you know sensitive emotional guy too and i i am i but it's easy for me to cry but when i have you across from me letting it rip you know it's <laughs> uh it's it's hard
1: um yeah i i get that and so i made everybody cry it's my fault and <laughs> i i apologize for that It is good. It's, you know, you're affected by the things that people are going through in it. It represents a connection to people. And, you know, if it happens because you're reading a Humans of Dublin thing or because you're at an amazing Earth, Wind & Fire concert, you know, whatever it takes. I don't
2: make any apologies for being an emotional boob, for crying.
1: Oh, we we cry all the time.
2: Or commercials yeah, or the documentary How to Die in Oregon. If you want a good cry, a good blubbering puddle of tears... Cry, go watch that documentary on Netflix, How to Die in Oregon. We're way off track here, but uh, we'll get back on. Another piece of follow-up, this this just got announced tonight. Rowan County, Kentucky. We covered this uh, at length that the clerk there, Kim Davis, who refused to issue marriage licenses in the onset of the Supreme Court decision on June 26th, And apparently she is having that decision shoved straight up her ass by a federal judge.
1: Yes, a federal judge on Wednesday ordered Rowan County Clerk Kim Davis to resume issuing marriage licenses despite her religious objection to same-sex marriage. Of course, she quickly filed an appeal. U.S. District Judge David Bunning granted a preliminary injunction against Davis, sought by four Rowan County couples who applied for marriage licenses. Davis has refused to issue any marriage licenses in her own county since June 26th, when the U.S. Supreme Court legalized gay marriage, and Governor Steve Brashear instructed all 120 of Kentucky's county clerks to comply with the court's decision. Davis, quote, likely has violated the constitutional rights of her constituents by promoting her Christian beliefs, quote, at the expense of others. The state is not asking her to condone same-sex unions on moral or religious grounds, nor is it restricting her from engaging in a variety of religious activities. She is even free to believe that marriage is a union between one man and one woman, as many Americans do. However, the judge wrote, her religious convictions cannot excuse her from performing the duties that she took an oath to perform as Rowan County clerk.
2: As far as I'm concerned, someone needs to start some kind of a, an impeachment proceeding or a recall election to get her out of there because she, she has clearly violated the civil rights and constitutional rights rights of the citizens for whom she, she sits, whom she's supposed to be serving. So I would hope that someone there in Rowan County, Kentucky would be getting that done because that needs to be looked into.
1: Right. And her legal counsel has said Kim Davis is resolute in vindicating her rights. We disagree with this order because the government should never be able to compel a person to violate their sincerely held religious beliefs.
2: Uh, But I like what the old tired argument.
1: Right. But I like what the judge said, though, that she has likely violated the constitutional rights of her constituents by promoting her Christian beliefs. Right over everything else. And
2: her rights stop where their rights begin. She doesn't get to trample on their rights because of her mythology. It's just not the way it works.
1: And, of course, Kim Davis, we played the video of a same-sex couple going in attempting to get a marriage license. And she was the one who was very aggressive and didn't even want to speak to them. Told them
2: to turn the camera off.
1: Right. And it was just a horrific scene. So, I mean, she has to, at some point, start to realize this is going to be a losing battle for her, hopefully.
2: Well, it's. I, I mean, I've been screaming about it, whether it be on YouTube or here for years, that they are. On the wrong side of history. And this is just kind of the the last thrashing after you cut the head off of a chicken. This is the last thrashing of the body. Kind of just the, the electrical impulses getting to the muscles. These appeals and this screaming and yelling. And it's over. We are moving into the future with or without you. And I'm assuming you want to move in with us. So come along. The water's warm. Come on. Come on in.
6: Support for I Doubt It with Dollimore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com/slash I doubt it with Dolomore.
2: Before we move on to Dolomocracy, I want to take some time to thank our two newest supporters on Patreon. Selena and Chris are both um, they've joined the Super Secret Club. <laughs> <laughs> and we really, really appreciate your support. Uh, if you would like to, I guess I don't have to give a little a little blurb since we just played the mid roll, but um, we really appreciate the support of everybody, whether you know it's a twenty five or a fifty cent contribution per episode, or even less, and all the way up to you know the two fifty three dollar per episode uh, supporters and contributors. It's a beautiful thing. It really does help us defray costs and everything else that I say all the time. So to you, you, Selena, well, I want to make it less a commercial, more of a thanks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just get so sucked into the, you know, I'm the salesman at heart.
1: Yes, you are.
2: (laughs) So I want to let Selena and Chris both know that your stickers for the show, your very, very valuable, high quality vinyl stickers of the show's logo, they are on their way. They are in the mail. So thank you very much. Very much. Dollimocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. This is becoming very slowly or rapidly, as it were, this is becoming just a politics podcast. This is becoming, we should just change the name from I Doubt It With Dollimore. To dollarocracy.
1: <laughs> no, well, it just seems that way because we did that long bonus episode about the debate, and right. we've been talking a lot about politics lately, just because it's been so.
2: It's only gonna get present. worse from here, though. Yeah, you know what that's, I mean. That's true. Which is fine. I listen. I'm a junkie. This is this is. I love it, and I'm assuming that our audience will either follow along or just hate our
1: guts (laughs) well and we we have received feedback from people who listen to the bonus episode and we got a lot of really great positive feedback yeah yeah and what we found is a lot of people you know don't necessarily care to listen to the entire debate but want to hear what happened and want to know what happened and so they aren't really interested in watching the debate but they would prefer to listen to us talk about it it's like sports
2: center for politics where it's just the highlights yeah you know what i mean yeah and that that reference might go over the head of one Europeans, and then also
1: it pe- went over my head, quite frankly. Pe- yeah,
2: people who aren't into sports. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I-, I like that, and we're really gonna we're gonna do the same thing with the next debate, and uh, we're looking forward to the months to come. To put it mildly, there is new polling data after the aforementioned debate, and some very very. Interesting results have been revealed.
1: Yes, this is a CNN ORC poll, and they polled likely Democratic caucus goers in Iowa. They found that Hillary Clinton is firmly in the lead in the state that kicks off the nation's nominating contests, holding a 50% to 31% lead over upstart Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders.
2: I love that they call him an upstart Vermont Senator when... He's been in Congress for goddamn ever. He was in the House of Representatives when I worked for the Senate back in the late 90s, early 2000s. So he, it's not like he just got there. Not like he just got involved in in the process.
1: Yeah, that's true. But maybe they're just comparing, I mean, the name Clinton right. to Sanders. And it's
2: also his first run for president. Maybe that's what they
1: mean. Right. Vice President Joe Biden, who has yet to decide whether he will make a run for the presidency, (laughs) lands in third place with 12%.
2: Unannounced, and he's in third place with double digits.
1: Yes, with the rest of the field at 1% or less. Which
2: would be Jim Webb, O'Malley, and... uh, Chafee. Oh, yeah, Lincoln Chafee, right, right. Mm -hmm. Who used to be a Republican, so I always forget that he's a Democrat.
1: So this polling data is based on interviews with 2014 adults, Iowans...
2: 2014 adults not uh, it's just weird because it's you know last year was 2014 so (laughs) it's just coincidence that that's the number yes okay okay
1: (laughs) sorry so 2014 adult iowans and this was conducted by telephone okay from august 7th to 11th so this is after the debate although this part doesn't matter because these are democrats right And the margin of sampling error for results based on the total sample is plus or minus two percentage points. That's tight. So they asked everyone, please tell me which of the following people you would be most likely to support. That's where Clinton came down with 50. Sanders is 31. Biden is 12. But they also asked them, who would be your second choice? which is an interesting question. Yeah, yeah. So Clinton got 29% of that vote, and Sanders got 21%, and Biden got 25%. So Sanders is in third for the even the second choice. Sure,
2: though. sure. That's a weird question. I wonder what uh, implications or ramifications that has on on the rest of the, you know, the greater poll.
1: Yeah, they also ask them if they have definitely decided if they're leaning towards someone or if they're still trying to decide, which I think is a good question. Sure. And also makes you feel better about these people because 54% said they're still trying to decide. And if the majority already had their mind made up, I would be a little like, oh.
2: Right, this early on, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty early. What about negativity or some of the, the, the trust issues That Mrs. Clinton, Secretary Clinton, hear me, with the Mrs. Mm -hmm. Goddamn New York Times, (laughs) uh, that that, uh, Secretary Clinton has faced in recent uh, months.
1: Right. So they asked which candidate is the most honest and trustworthy.
2: It's got it's got to be Bernie Sanders. It is. It better be. Right.
1: At 35 percent. And then Clinton is second. Even
2: even I think that guy is, as I've said many times on this program.
1: Program. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: That... I might not agree with everything Bernie Sanders has to say, but I will say that I really truly believe that he is an honest man who believes it is the way to go, Mm -hmm. where uh, oftentimes I think Hillary Clinton is a disingenuous opportunist.
1: Well, apparently people Uh, share that sentiment.
2: Democrats from Iowa agree with Jesse D.
1: (laughs) So when it comes to who's the most honest and trustworthy, Sanders is at 35, Clinton is at 28, and Biden is at 23%. Okay. And they also said, they also asked, who best understands the problem facing people like you? So kind of an empathy question. Clinton and Sanders are really close. Clinton has 40%. Sanders has 39%. And Biden has 12%. I don't know why I keep talking about Biden.
2: Well, well, he's in. If if he's making a mark. Well, it's good to talk about him for this fact that if he has 12%, he's taking away from one of those two. You know what I mean? So it's not that, oh, wow, a whole 12%. It's who's he taking from? Because if Biden wasn't in the race, that 12% has got to filter somewhere. It's got to trickle down to two of them. But, you know, who's going to get that vote?
1: Right. So they also ask specific questions about four specific issues. So which candidate do you think would be the best for the economy, foreign policy, healthcare, and energy policy? Oh, that's,
2: that's good. That's good. What? Tell me, tell me, tell me.
1: Clinton was in the lead. For all four,
2: really, yes. Hmm.
1: So, on the economy, 42 percent, where Sanders is following at 31 percent, health care, Clinton is in the lead for 54 percent, and Sanders is following at 28 percent. Foreign policy, Clinton has 66 percent, and then Biden is following at 18 percent. Sanders only has nine percent when it comes to foreign policy and people trusting him on that issue, I guess you yeah. could say.
2: He's Uh, In this way, I really think he's more of a Ron Paul type of guy where he's we're going to stay the fuck out of it.
1: (laughs) It's what it seems like.
2: Right. But the problem is being a democratic socialist and a Scandinavian type um, style of politics and policy, uh, you can't you can't just it's easy for for Denmark to kind of stay out of the fray. No one, when some global military conflict starts, no one's looking to Denmark like, hey man, you g- look, we're going to lose this thing if you don't get involved. Right. <laughs> Where w- America, we are looked to, to, to play that role. And w- like it or hate it, it's just the way of the world. It's the fact. I mean, we spend so much goddamn money on defense that it's w- we are the natural choice to fill that role.
1: Right. And 538 did have something to say about Bernie Sanders' recent polling here, where he's at 31%. They say that his support has likely leveled off. Leveled off in the early primary states as people form an opinion about him, is what 538 has said.
2: I would say, and this goes out to all of my Bernie Sanders supporting friends and people I know, And the audience, I guess. Jesus, I I guess I'm here in front of a microphone hosting a (laughs) podcast. Why am I not addressing the audience? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It would be, listen, if 538 is right, if the folks over at 538 are correct on this, and that's Nate Silver, the guy who, if he knows anything, it's sports statistics and politics. He doesn't fucking get it wrong. This guy's. He's if it weren't for the fact that we know that it's mathematics, I would think he was goddamn psychic. <laughs> um, if he's saying that there is validity and he has something to back up his claim. He's not just taking a stab in the dark. So if you support Bernie Sanders, you need to be aware of this. And now he's Bernie Sanders has done <clears throat> Bernie Sanders seemingly has done all of the heavy lifting. He has created this surge now it's up to you, the individual supporter of Senator Sanders, to talk to your friends, to talk to your neighbors, to talk to people in, the, in line to the grocery store, wherever you are, to try to assist the furthering of the surge. Because if it is over, just by virtue of the fact that he's reached all of those disaffected people that he was going to reach, he needs some help, and it's going to have to be a grassroots effort. So what about uh, Republicans? Let's talk about that, because in the in the in the wake of the debate, there had to have been some movement.
1: Yes. Trump dropped to zero
2: anyway. <laughs>
1: <God>. <laughs> that Brittany, didn't happen. Brittany
2: over there making jokes.
1: Yeah, that did not happen. So they polled Iowa Republicans, likely Iowa Republican voters. And they they said, if the Republican presidential caucus in Iowa were held today, please tell me which of the following people you would most likely support. 22% said Trump.
2: Wow. Yes. It's just, so he's
1: holding steady.
2: Ugh, So disappointing.
1: 14% said Ben Carson. 9% said Scott Walker.
2: That's the shocker right there. The Ben Carson. Here's the deal, though. Iowa does not—and this maybe we should say this for our, for our international listeners—the state of Iowa does not represent—it is a microcosm of conservatism uh, amongst even, even the Midwest states. It is not like a—if this was to take place in New York, that would be a deal. It's not the way it is, though. If that was to happen even in, in Oregon, Washington, even Idaho, which is really conservative, that would be a big deal was kind of a different thing. They got a whole different thing going on relative to their politics and their economy and everything else. And for Ben Carson to be in second place, I guess really it just tells me that they got a lot of nutters when Trump is first and, and Ben Carson is second.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't really remember the things that Ben Carson said during the debate because he's not really that memorable to me when he speaks, <laughs> um, except for the outrageous non-scientific things coming out of a scientifically trained person's mouth. Right, right. But apparently he did something right because he, he shot up sh- in he the He struck polls. a nerve.
2: That's right. Sure.
1: Right. So Walker's at 9%. Cruz, Ted Cruz, is at 8%. And then Fiorina, Carly Fiorina and Mike Huckabee are tied for 7%. Ah. So, Carly Fiorina, she was in the the B team debate. Right, right. Carly Fiorina did the best right. overwhelmingly the best in that debate. That's right. And she was
2: in charge during that debate.
1: Yes, but if you watched the debate, which <laughs> I watched most of it. Oh, wee, wee, yeah, wee, you wee, can wee. you totally know why oh, wee, wee, they wee, are wee. the B team. Fucking why it was boring. in the B team. Yeah, it was boring. Also, there was no one in the audience, I'm not joking. In, there was no one. It was
2: embarrassingly empty. I mean, r- you could see when they when they have the shot of the, the the two shot of the moderators and behind them during the main debate, it is a packed house. Yeah, not not during the early debate. It was goddamn. It like s- to say it was sparse is not even to do it justice. Th- there might have been in that giant hall of people, the same hall as the other team. There may have been 50 people. I mean, and
1: all Fox News employees. Yeah. Oh, yeah right. All doing something <laughs> to help the debate move forward and, right, right. and run smoothly. But it actually kind of proved your point wrong about the audience thing because I felt awkward. Like Rick Perry was passionately speaking and he was answering these questions. And then after he answered, it was just silent. Right. And it was kind of awkward. There should be some—I don't know. There should be ruffling, or something I should be like happening. It. Some sort of noise. I, I nope. don't know. It felt too. It felt too quiet.
2: Nope. I think they should be. They should go to some computer chip company and have it in the clean room where they're all in like the the Breaking Bad suits. <laughs> that, that's how quiet I think it should be. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, tell me this then. Did they do the same thing? I'm assuming they did. But did they do the same thing with the Republican um, respondents about if they're, you know, if they're still deciding or if they're leaning toward a certain candidate? Did they do that?
1: They did. And 15% say they have definitely decided. (laughs) And 66% said still trying to decide. So that's good.
2: Right. Since we're, the primaries don't start until May of next year, but they have already decided who they're going to vote for.
1: Okay, now this is only going to get worse. So Ugh. just hang in there with me. I'll try. And try to think happy thoughts. So they asked, now I'm going to mention a few issues for each one. Please tell me which... Please
2: rep-
1: ah, <laughs> <Zippity laughs> tell me a. which Republican candidate my, you would oh my, think... A
2: wonderful day. I can't read while you're You singing. said think fucking happy thoughts. <laughs> okay. I'm singing Disney tunes. Couldn't be any happier than that.
1: Yes. Tell Should me- I whistle? No. <laughs> Just be silent in the All audience.
2: Right. Start over. Start over.
1: Okay. Now I'm going to mention a few issues. And for each one, please tell me which Republican candidate you think would best handle the issue if he or she were to be elected. On the economy, 37%. Fucking Trump,
2: huh? Yes. God damn
1: it. 37%. And in second, with 10%, is Carly Fiorina.
2: Wow. hmm The two CEOs. Yes. That's... uh remarkable shockingly stupid on the part of those iowa republicans
1: now on illegal immigration Mm. i bet you can guess the top two just guess the top two
2: uh trump and Cruz. yes yeah
1: perfect so trump has by the
2: way i want to paint a picture for the audience here i don't have the numbers in front of me i have my computer with the recording happening
1: everyone knows that you don't read anything that that's on me. I'm the one who preps. everything. I don't do
2: any show prep. I just wait. Britney reads and I react.
1: Right. So Trump has <laughs> that's 35%. Not exactly
2: true. Let's not exactly
1: true. That's fact. And All
2: right, Donald at
1: <laughs> what a great name. Did you just think of that right now?
2: Anyway, move on. Okay.
1: Ted Cruz has 12%. So Trump, 35, Ted Cruz, 12, the, <laughs> the Republican voters, mm think that Donald Trump and Ted Cruz would be best able to handle illegal immigration.
2: Right. They just build a four-mile wall, and I don't mean four miles long, I mean four miles high, where planes, small commuter planes, have to go, oh, fly over it. Fucking idiots.
1: Okay, now terrorism, would you like to guess the top two here as well?
2: I guess probably Trump, Mm -hmm. and um, I don't know. I have no idea.
1: It's Cruz again. So Uh, Trump with 21% and Ted Cruz at 13%. And interestingly, Bush is in third here with 8%.
2: It's very weird to me and disheartening. And I'm not a guy, I think I've said this before, I'm not a guy who thinks that you, it should be a requisite to have served in the military to be president. I don't think that, but... When Donald Trump says he's the most militaristic person ever. <laughs> I'm the most militaristic person ever.
1: Yeah, what does that mean? I mean,
2: other than the fact that you dodged the draft five times. Other than that, the five draft deferments you got, you fucking coward.
1: Listen, he had a spur in his foot just like you he's a cowboy and he can't remember which which foot it was in but he did have right, one right. and it was very painful so painful he couldn't go
2: all right moving on
1: so abortion this is the final issue they asked them about abortion and carson is tied with huckabee here of at 17 percent yeah and then you have bush Weird
2: that it wouldn't be scott walker
1: yeah he's he kind was, of far down as he well He was
2: called out specifically by megan kelly and asked So, you're saying because of based on your prior statements that you would let a woman die rather than let her have an abortion, which he didn't answer because he's also a terrible, horrible coward. But it shocks me that Iowans, these nutter butters, don't think he would be the lead. For an abortion stance.
1: Well, I think you may be tapping into what the problem is there, that he didn't answer the question. Yeah. And so maybe they didn't really appreciate that because he didn't do that great in the debate.
2: No. The problem is, though, that it's hard to out-Trump Donald Trump when you're on stage. When you have the three-ring circus act in one ring over there, it's hard to, you know, when all you are is a juggler and you've got a fucking fire sword swallower next to you, no one gives a shit about you <laughs> juggling tennis balls. Yeah, when you've got Donald Trump, the the fiery sword swallower, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ugh, talented. Right. Moving on. So, so what were some others? I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm getting tired asking these questions of you and doing the work. Okay. So why don't you uh, take the load off over here? You know what I mean? Have a little respect for your humble host.
1: I apologize. Um, <laughs> so they also asked which candidate best represents the values of Republicans like yourself. And Carson is in the lead here with 14 percent with Trump following at 12 percent and then Huckabee with 11 percent, which you rarely see his name that high on these lists here. They also asked which candidate has the best chance of winning the general election next November. Don't
5: be naive. You're a very naive person. (laughs)
1: And is it Trump? Yeah, uh, it's Trump at 22%. I mean, it's almost comical. It's sad and scary as well. I
7: take stupid question, Jake, in all due respect. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but Bush is in second with 16%, and then Scott Walker is in third with
2: 11%. Neither one of those guys, even the other guys, would I consider voting for. Neither one. Obviously Cruz, way Carson, jeb bush is not on my radar it just i'm a sad i'm a sad guy what can i say <laughs>
1: i'm a sad i'm a sad okay so this is the last one all right they they asked which candidate is most likely to change the way things work in washington
2: oh god now damn. do not say donald the hairpiece orange-faced mooc trump
1: 44 percent.
2: 44 percent
1: And second is Carson with 9%.
2: Uh,
1: And then Cruz is third.
2: All right. We're going to move on. I'm sick of talking (laughs) about these nutters in Iowa. Listen, if you're an audience member in Iowa, why don't you reach out? 657-464-7609. That number is also for everybody else, not just Iowa citizens. 657-464-7609. Moving on happily to... A listener voicemail that we got we're breaking the mold here usually we play all of our voicemails up front and discuss all that as follow-up but this one dealt specifically with our coverage of the debate so i wanted to to have it uh i wanted to feature it within the actual dollamocracy segment so without further ado hi guys
7: uh just listening to the recap of the republican debate and then the 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 regular episode right after that. And uh, I, I've got some folks that are very Fox News, um, kind of oriented. That's that's their lone news source. They don't really read newspapers, don't really watch any other channels. That's kind of where they get stuff. And we were talking about the debate. And uh, they asked me why I was so offended by Donald Trump. And it honestly, I, I had to think about it. And I, I've been thinking about it a couple days. And I think he's just kind of the antithesis of the American exceptionalism. I mean, that's that's something that the Republican Party would claim to be built on, and I think at one time they were. Certainly, William F. Buckley, you know, mid-century Republican Party was about that, was about rewarding hard work and helping people raise their station if they really put in the effort. And Donald Trump was born on a big pile of money, and he turned it into a bigger pile of money. I don't know how that makes you an exceptional businessman, especially since his family's money is all from real estate. And it's all from commercial properties, you know, be it residential rentals or, or commercial business spaces. A lot of them are on the riverfront. And I imagine that the growth of his net worth is pretty linear to the growth of real estate value in New York. Like, he may have been better off as, you know, multiple bankruptcies and the casino thing. And he may have been better off just to let his properties gain value with the market uh, than, than, you know, striking out on some other stuff. So I don't know how that makes him great a business, especially when you're just born into. I have a hard time really being flattering to his business acumen from what I can tell and the, you know what I've read about him. And obviously, he's been famous my entire life. I'm 34. So, um, man, I, I, I think he's the candidate we deserve for living in the Kardashian era. He's all style, no substance. He has no plans. You know, when I hear him say he's going to he's going to repeal ACA and replace it with, quote-unquote, something terrific, like, is that the dude we want? Like, oh, this is garbage, and we never win anymore, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll just replace it with something good. You're like, I'll, I'll tell you about it later. Like, he doesn't have ideas. And uh, if I took one thing away from the debate, uh, I think that John Kasich is our, our 2016 version of John Huntsman in a lot of ways where he seems like the most rational dude. he I was really surprised to hear him talk mainly about social issues, be it their expansion of Medicaid and how that actually saves money to take care of people, um, prison reform, uh, dealing with addiction on a state level. I thought that stuff is fantastic. And that's not usually areas you see Republicans step in. Hearing someone talk about what they've actually done um, And and how they've implemented some of these things in in their home state, and see the the uh, the recourse, the the positive recourse of of it. Um, I think if uh, if a Republican were to run mainly on social issues, which is what Kasich chose to talk about, I think that Jesse, you're totally right that that's an electable guy on the on in the main national election. Now I doubt that he would ever even sniff the party. You would get the nod from the party, which is which is unfortunate. But I think I mean the implication of religion as a reason to take care of people and, and to add social programming is completely the antithesis of what the Republican Party has been about in the last uh, you know, twenty years. I was surprised with that. I, I think that I'm not a Hillary guy, unfortunately. That may be where I have to vote. Uh, but I, I would really have to think about if they ran someone like Kasich. Unfortunately, they they will be unlikely to do so. Anyways, guys, love the show, uh, love the debate breakdown. Hope you continue to do that, especially when we get to the national debates between the uh, the major candidates. Yeah, always always listening. Love the show. Help me kill a lot of time when I'm traveling. Thanks, guys. Keep it up.
2: I love that we're we're a source for killing time. <laughs>
1: What a great voicemail that was. Awesome
2: voicemail. Yeah. And
1: I really appreciated a lot of the things that he said because they were things I haven't really been thinking about when it comes to Trump, because when you hear Trump talk, it's just so easy to say, "Ugh, you know, what an idiot he's being so hateful. And, you know, it's it's easy to just go there with it rather than really breaking down what his life situation has been. And, yeah, he talks about his success and what he's made of himself and born on
2: a big pile of money. And turned that pile of money into a bigger pile of money. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And, and by the way, the other thing is when you call in, you can leave your name. That would be awesome. <laughs> then we can know who you are and where you're from rather than just the mystical phantom listener.
1: <laughs> well, he was really excited to let us know how he felt.
2: Real excited. Yeah. And listen, that's the kind of analysis that I really... I truly believe in my heart our audience is capable of. I know that we we always talk about our own being a smart. We have a very knowledgeable audience and smart audience. Clearly, they're smart if they're listening to us. But really, all right, they're educated, mm-hmm. you know. And this is this is evidence, and it it makes me it makes me feel less sad like <laughs> I did earlier and more glad.
1: Yes. And what he was saying about Kasich is. Correct as well, like, like you said. And I saw you smile when he said you yeah, were right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, CNN interviewed John Kasich today. And the subject of the interview was basically, are you too moderate? Yeah. Are you too moderate it's to be awesome. in this race? Listen,
2: it is awesome when a candidate like that, when that's the question they're being asked. Unfortunately, like the caller said it probably is a death sentence.
1: Yeah, and that is really tragic. It's are you are you too reasonable of a person? <laughs> are you being too even-handed, sir?
2: Yeah, right. No shit.
1: Can you please be a little more crazy? Which
2: again is one of the reasons why the Republican Party is no longer relevant. It's 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 pissing me off. All right. Not to belabor the blood pouring out of her eyes or wherever thing, But Donald Trump did say that. We talked about that over the course of the last few episodes, the bonus episode, episode 145 and episode 146. And there were several days between the debate on Thursday and Monday when Megyn Kelly came back to work. And there was a lot of debate on, is she going to talk? Is she going to respond? Is she going to apologize? Um and well, thankfully, and this was I had the opinion that she wasn't going to apologize. <laughs> he
1: He has to point this out, everybody. <laughs> Do you know what's coming next? I, I don't think anyone knows what's coming next.
2: Hmm.
1: Were you
0: right about it?
2: Uh, I don't I guess we'll <laughs> let the audience decide. Are you gonna
0: let that horn rip? <laughs> but first, I just got back from a weekend at the beach with my husband and my three kids. Did anything happen in the news while I was gone? Did I miss anything? You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly and presidential contender Donald Trump. Mr. Trump was upset with a question I asked him at the debate last week about his electability and specifically comments he has made in the past about women. A few words on that. Apparently, Mr. Trump thought the question I asked was unfair and felt I was attacking him. I felt he was asked a tough but fair question. We agreed to disagree. Mr. Trump did interviews over the weekend that attacked me personally. I've decided not to respond. Mr. Trump is an interesting man who has captured the attention of the electorate. That's why he's leading in the polls. Trump, who is the front runner, will not apologize. And I certainly will not apologize for doing good journalism. So I'll continue doing my job without fear or favor. And Mr. Trump, I expect, will continue with what has been a successful campaign thus far. This is a tough business, and it's time now to move forward. And now let's get back to the news.
1: So I just love her, and I felt really good about her response. There was a part of me that wanted her to respond.
0: Tell him,
2: just, hey, fuck you.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But I understand that it's actually more powerful what she did here. Right. Saying, you know, he chose to attack me personally. I've chosen not to respond. I mean, that's very powerful. Yeah. Which
2: is a response in and of itself, though. It's I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Her saying, I'm not gonna respond is responding. You know what I mean?
1: And it is telling him it, to F off.
2: It may have been more it may have been more powerful for her just to fucking ignore it and move on, but I don't know
1: her ratings apparently on Monday night were the outrageous outrageous they beat like everything because everyone was just waiting for that moment of what is she gonna say
2: she's not the only journalist talking about Trump Anderson Cooper last night went on Seth Meyers show and they had a little conversation.
3: Nice to see you again Nice to see you I feel as though This super early election cycle Is very good for people like me Who do comedy But it's also very good for people yeah, your like you show, Your entire show has basically been Donald Trump tonight so it's far It's been yeah. lovely yeah. And yes. I gotta be honest Last night, same thing and give, <laughs> I, got, uh, I got about 360 days or so Although you're
6: on his, eni- list, you? on his enemies list I am
3: on his enemies list He's not. He's never forgiven me for the The, the Washington Correspondent dinner Yeah
6: And then I remember like, It was months or years later When you got this show I think he was the first person To tweet you congratulations you remember what he tweeted? I remember it was something about -"Seth Meyers is a loser. <laughs> he, <did. laughs> he garbles his words. Uh, yeah. How do you get a show? It was
3: wonderful. How? It was instantaneous. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was at that moment where I was he knew that that would right. be when
6: I was looking. Right. Yeah. I
3: get a show NBC, and I'm like see he makes a big mistake. <laughs> yeah.
6: His ratings are going to be garbage.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, he always says the thing he always says about me is I have marbles in my mouth. Uh, sure. Which is yeah. so great because it's something like a 1950s bully would say. <laughs> you got marbles in your mouth. What's wrong? You can't get the marbles out of your mouth. He, may, he must have attacked you in the past.
6: Um, I've interviewed him twice so far this this uh, this season in person. You did it yes, in Yes, I yeah, actually, did actually did him got in person. Him, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's true. But what's weird what's interesting is I've uh, I'm only allowed in the lobby of the Trump Tower. That's where I I actually interview him at the bar, the the Trump bar. At the Trump Tower. Wow. And uh, yeah, so, which I think serves a dual purpose, because one, it's like a free ad for Trump Tower. Uh-huh. So I think people who are watching and want to visit in New York, they're more encouraged to go to Trump Tower. And also, large crowds gather. And then after you're done interviewing, he'll go and he'll talk to the crowds, because he's, he's a man of the people. And uh, <laughs> the last time I talked to him, he left kind of annoyed because of something I asked him. He came back, then he took me introduced me to the crowd, then I was like, okay, I, I, we're done, I gotta go. Yeah. And then he came back to me with three people from the crowd, he's like, they're from South America, they like me, they're from South America. <laughs> and, and, the, and there were these three guys who were like, we're very excited to be here. <laughs> and I do not know what the hell was going on. <laughs> like, okay. cameras, right. cameras. <laughs> yeah.
2: Very, very funny.
1: Yeah. I love how Anderson is really making himself a target to Donald Trump at this point because I, like they said, I do imagine him as well just with TVs on every channel. And then the moment his name is mentioned, he, you know, hires someone to come watch it and see what they say so he can tweet angry things at them. Well, the weird,
2: here's the thing is he can't, Donald Trump, you only have really two choices. No one watches MSNBC. you know what I mean So you really only have two choices. you got CNN, you got Fox News. you can't alienate both channels and expect to get coverage right so in and Anderson he's the one who pulls the highest ratings at CNN so you can't it's O'Reilly and Megan Kelly over there who are the the heavy lifters ratings wise. Hannity's not even a he's not even in the mix anymore but Kelly and O'Reilly, The two Irishmen, (laughs) (laughs) they're pulling in all the ratings at Fox News, and then you've got Anderson Cooper single-handedly keeping the lights on (laughs) over at CNN, because it sure as shit isn't Blitz, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, but Don Lemon also helps.
2: Anyway. So, really quickly, before we move on, that was very funny, we really appreciate that, and it's also nice to have a little levity. But before we move on, we want to talk, we want to give the dates for the next debates, which obviously we're a little early here. We want you to mark it on your calendar because we're always looking for new ways and better ways to improve our bonus debate episode. So September 16th will be the Republican debate, and then the Democrats are coming around when?
1: October 13th.
2: Okay, so just the next month. And I think that the Democrat debate is going to be awesome because it's going to be a lot more... Substance, A lot less entertainment and a lot more substance because you don't have 17 monkeys on stage. You've just got four. You know well, what I and mean?
1: for Wednesday, September 16th debate with the Republicans, Jake Tapper is the moderator. Good. And I like knowing who the moderator is because that gives you some insight into how it's going to go. And Jake Tapper is a rock star and he's going to be the best possible moderator. Yeah.
2: Smart guy. Gets to the point. Not a pushover. That's real good. All right, to wrap up this Dolomocracy segment and to kind of transition into something else, we have with us very special guest, hopefully soon to be, friend of the show, Dan Errol, formerly a writer-editor with Richard Dawkins in some capacity and now is a blogger for Pathios, and he has his own blog called Danthropology. He's also the author of the book Parenting Without God. And we are very happy to have him. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, I wanted to I wanted to talk to you specifically because you just wrote a blog. And I don't have the title in front of me. So Brittany's going to have to...
1: The biggest loser in the Republican debate was the Republican Party. Yes.
2: It, this really struck a chord with me because I've been screaming about this for... Uh, goddamn. Well, ever since Trump started gaining notoriety and and dominance in the polls because the Republican Party used to be hold some special place in my heart. And before we go on, though, there's one excerpt that I want Brittany to get to to kind of put a stamp on this of kind of what your position is.
1: Trump's circus act of a candidacy will continue to overshadow the race and will bury the GOP in second place for generations to come. While this may be a bad thing for the party, it is a great thing for the American people.
2: And that sums up, while you and I are probably have some distance between us politics wise, we agree wholeheartedly on that point. what uh, what led you to write this?
8: Uh, really, I mean, I caught the debate kind of secondhand because I was in the hospital at the at the time with my wife who was Giving birth to our child. Oh, so that's I,
2: right! Congratulations. I, and, uh,
8: thank you. Uh, just going to drop that in there, and make everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, just, uh, politics suddenly wasn't the most important thing in the world for me. But um, as I, as I watched it, I was just in awe of, out of picking seventeen people so far, running, there wasn't one up there that even made sense where usually like there might be one level headed candidate and you're like oh man he doesn't have a chance because the party's gone so far but like listen to him and you kind of push his name i can't remember the guy from from 2008 who ran um i want to say john or something like
2: you're thinking of john,
8: john John Huntsman Huntsman that's the one like you know you, you would there's lots of stuff i disagreed with him but then i could say well at least he stands for you know education in like in their a real form. Like he, he you know accepts climate change, he accepts evolution. Right,
2: right. He well that was, was his that was ultimately his demise that he's gonna he's gonna default to what scientists say and then pew, is a precipitous free fall in the polls after that.
8: <laughs> exactly. And but this year, like I'm I'm looking at these candidates and I'm like, there's just no one in there that I could even scream at the right to say, just get behind this guy. Like at least he's not as crazy. As, now you're just looking at I mean like what is it 17 now? Yeah, 17. Crazy people.
2: Yeah, I'm <laughs> I, I would say that there there is there's at least one who's mildly palatable and that would be John Kasich because really all he talked about during the ba- debate was poverty and mental health and, you know, justifying his Medicaid expansion under Obamacare for his state as governor. But still, because up to this point, the, one of the reasons I'm I'm running away and, and disassociating myself with, from any uh, tie that I had to the party, even though it's been many years since I was officially – could be considered a Republican. Um, I've had a litmus test, and that's gay marriage. If you are opposed to to the rights of gays and lesbians to, to enter into what the rest of the conservative crowd considers this sanctified union – then fuck you 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 don't get my vote at all and now that the court has ruled i've kind of had to adjust that litmus test that if you're now if you're opposed or if you are for a constitutional amendment then that same fuck you applies yeah so i i i kind of and we're we're talking i guess a little bit too much about trump right now but it's hard not to when he's like at 33% in the polls
1: Well, and half the candidates, it's about half, are not for a constitutional amendment. And that's actually something else that John Kasich did right during the debate, which is, we talked about it on the last episode, or on the bonus episode, I believe, where John Kasich was asked specifically about gay marriage and he said some, you know, relatively positive things about the LGBT community. Uh,
2: Put it into perspective, it's relative for a Republican.
1: (laughs) Right, right. He said that, you know, he's going to love, if his daughter were to be gay, he would love her no matter what and give her unconditional love and, you know, all that good stuff. And the audience actually applauded that, which we compared to the gay soldier who asked a question during last season's debate of
2: Santorum right? right
1: and he was booed when he asked a question about being gay in the military the
2: soldier not Santorum
1: right <laughs> so we we kind of put that into perspective that okay maybe there's a little progress going on here
2: well it's I think it's it's one they were on home turf in Ohio for the debate so some of that is going to come with they're kind of sticking up for their guy, which is Kasich. He's the governor of Ohio. Let me ask you this, Dan: What do you think? And I realize that you you don't really have your finger on the pulse of conservative Christian America, probably. But what, given a guess, what would you say is motivating this uh, this surge of support, which is just wildly, oh, Jesus, it's just inexplicable to me. But what do you what would you chalk it up to for for Trump?
8: I think it has to do with two things, really. I think Trump, number one, kind of is really great at marketing and getting his name everywhere. And name recognition is just, sadly, such a big part of the electorate cycle here in the U.S., where people care very little about what you stand for. And, uh, oh, I know that name. And everyone keeps saying it, so it must be good. Right, right. Well, and he's such a great
1: Uh, promoter of himself as well.
8: Exactly. Secondly... (laughs) he really does promote the fact that he's not a politician.
2: Yeah, I think, I think that's probably a good point. That probably does resonate with these. Um, there was one issue that I took with your blog, and this is... I, How was, dare you? I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's when you said 24 million voters tuned in. And I would oh, yeah, yeah. I would venture to say that a lot of these are kind of your Jesus fish... On their car, Walmart shopping, unwashed masses, those types who aren't really going to vote. But he's striking a chord within the that underlying kind of whether it be fear of blacks and Mexicans or whatever, or just straight out racism. He's striking a chord with those people and it's resonating and they might not even vote. But, you know, they're out there, you know, oh I'm going to go see my buddy. You know, it's 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 certainly disconcerting.
8: Yeah, the fact that the, the worst the worse the things he says are, the higher his poll ratings go. Yeah.
2: And that really there's no all rules and all bets are off related to what has worked in the past. Because if, you know, Rick Perry what was it that shot him down last time? Was it the forgetting the three, or was it? Uh... Yeah,
1: he couldn't remember after he said he would do something. Oh, he yeah. couldn't remember which areas of government he wanted to get rid of, or something. Right,
2: it was over for him. Um, Howard Dean back in the day when he did his excited ah! his scream, it was over for him. But for Donald Trump, it's he seems to be Clinton esque in this way that nothing sticks to this guy, and he is he is wildly arrogant. He's off the charts with really seemingly unintelligent. He's he's not ah fuck. I, really seriously, I, I said this last time uh, on the show that if he gets the nomination, not only will I vote for Hillary Clinton, but I will actively campaign for her, assuming that she's going to be the Democratic nominee. And that's a uh, that's a big deal for 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 me. <laughs> Where do you see this headed? Do you see him continuing on in his his uh, his meteoric rise, or do you think he's gonna hit a wall here soon?
8: He'll hit a wall. Um, I think. I don't think he's a serious candidate in himself. Uh, not not saying that uh, he's not a serious candidate in the fact that he doesn't know what he's doing, but I don't think he plans on doing the whole time. I don't think he has any intention of trying to become president. Huh? I think he is. Trying to blow himself up, he's going to build his name. He's going to make a lot of money, and he's yeah. going to he's going to use that for a long time. And whatever it is that drives him out of the race, if it because is because he said too many racist things, too many sexist things. Uh, somebody finally found the you know smoking gun that drives him out. He's then going to use that as a as a jumping point to continuously say, you know, I could have been president, but. Yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to become a huge moneymaker for him. I really don't foresee him ever trying to make it past those primaries or even to the I don't even know if he'll make it to the primaries. But then also, I think even if he was elected president on his first day of work, when he realized he actually had to do something, he'd probably quit.
2: <laughs> yeah, I talk about a scary... Well, the thing is, I don't think he's even smart enough to understand what a daunting task he would have ahead of him. Right. Would, he would just be, I'm the best. Oh, yeah, I'm going to hit him hard. I'm going to be I'm going to be the God's gift to women and reproductive rights. Oh,
1: fuck well, me. he also surrounds himself with yes-men, right? So his cabinet would just be people that can't give him honest feedback. I mean, they would right. just say, yes, Mr. Trump, that's great. Thank you.
2: Right. Do a little SN of the D, as we say on the show. Yeah,
1: yes,
8: yes, yes. Trump dropping four nuclear bombs on Iraq is the <laughs> best solution.
2: He, here's here's something that I I wonder. I want your opinion on. And I I especially during uh, Mitt Romney's run had this thought that you know because having grown up in northern Idaho with Mormons left and right and to and fro all over, I was I grew up in an environment that that Mormonism is a cult. Mormonism is not Christianity. But then my parents, they supported Mitt Romney for president of the United States. And I think there's a weird disconnect between, although they are very inextricably tied together, religion and politics, I do think there's a weird divide where these evangelical Jerry Falwell type Christians are actually more devout to this, this religion of their politics than they are Jesus. Because if you're an evangelical Christian and you believe Mormonism is a cult, why would you vote a cult member to be leader of the free world? And, and I guess taking it further and to finish my point as I ramble on and on and on, Donald Trump is, is garnering support from these same evangelicals when he is clearly not a religious man. And I think that to a degree they're betraying what they say is their ethos and they, they say is their viewpoint – by so vigorously supporting him. What do you think?
8: I think he knows how to pander to them though. If he positions himself correctly, he'll never be questioned about his religious beliefs because he says the things that they're thinking.
2: <laughs> right. He
8: backs he backs the stances they have. But then at the same time, someone asked him recently about his view on atheists, and he said atheists wouldn't like me.
2: Right. But doesn't doesn't expound on the point, just says, Oh yeah, no. I'm not, they're not a fan of me.
8: Right. And he, he knows how to play that card where they're going to think, oh, you know, he's just not bringing his religion into it, but they look at his issues and they feel comfortable saying, oh, he's one of us. Oh, he's against same sex marriage. Oh, he's against immigration policy. He's against, And they, they'll just stack up all these things that them as, you know, far right wing Republicans and evangelicals all agree upon. He's them, Right. So they're, they don't—they don't have to care about whether or not he prays before he goes to bed. They'll just go ahead and ignore that to get knowing that their rights will be upheld if he was in office.
2: Right, their right to trample upon the rights of others will exactly. be upheld. Yeah. Right. Well, good, awesome. Listen, uh, before we uh, wrap it up, I want to—I want to talk a little bit about what I think is a fascinating topic, which is parenting without God in your book. Which is, I guess, by the way, I have a. I have a very bad habit that has followed me from from evangelicalism, which is the God. Uh, I have the Josh Feuerstein (laughs) God going on. Uh, But Parenting Without God, I think it's a very – what a useful book. We've got lots of listeners all over the the world who I think would be interested in what you got going on in there.
8: Uh, Yeah, I mean it's a book really born out of – Odd questions my fundamentalist grandmother wouldn't stop asking me when I announced we were having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna baptize them? No, well why not? What if? Well, what are you gonna tell them about Christianity because you don't like it? Or well, aren't you just gonna raise an atheist? aren't you gonna aren't you gonna be just as guilty as you know you claim I am for raising Christian kids? And I just started kind of writing these down and my idea was honestly just to do some blog posts. A couple of years ago, I was writing for a blog called Emily Has Books, so it wasn't very, you know, it was a pretty independent uh, little thing. And I wrote one blog post, and a bunch of people said, "Write a book." And you know, I think I was like three blog posts into my career, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to write a book." But uh, but you did. I, kinda, I liked the idea, so I went for it. And um, so it's it's broken into three parts. Part of it being dealing with religion, so how to handle teaching your children about religion, trying to be honest about uh, what religious people believe instead of kind of using our amplified idea that we have sometimes as atheists that, you know, we call Mormon underwear magic underwear. Right, right. But they don't believe it's magic underwear. That's, you know, that's that's our joke. They don't believe it's some magical thing that they put on. It's a, it's a special garment. Teach them about what the garment actually is because that way they, they have a respect for the person and what they believe and then they can kind of deconstruct why it's right wrong silly whatever from a more truthful standpoint sure rather than kind of like the the crazy stuff we make you know calling you know oh religious people have a mental illness that doesn't serve anybody any good let's be honest about what they believe and then we can deconstruct as to why it doesn't work
1: That's also really important, too, in helping kind of the atheist image, right? Because a lot of people who attack atheism or attack atheists say, well, you know, you you guys are just angry and you hate religious people. And if you know, you're placing emphasis on the ideas and let's really teach you what these people believe so you can separate the ideas from the people, that's really important.
8: Yeah. And that's exactly kind of where I wanted to go. And Part three of the book is about um, getting active and why it's important to be out and open as an atheist parent. And it kind of really applies. Part three, I think, is the biggest part that applies to everybody. and not It doesn't focus just on the parent, but on the idea that if you live in a part of the world or the U.S. where you can come out of the closet and be an atheist publicly, you should because you... Being a good person, a, a, an outgoing person, you know, you, you have a job, you help people, you do that, you volunteer, and people know you're an atheist, you start to change the image that yeah. people have of atheists. And if we all hide in the closet, everyone continues having those, you know, oh, it's only the people I see on TV, or it's only the way they're portrayed on a TV show, or um, you know, because I know so many people online who are great, and I don't know their real name. Yeah. Uh, because they're too afraid.
2: Listen, I'm a uh, I've never had that in my blood to be quiet. I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hence, you know, I'm not the shy podcast host. It's, you know, I'm a loudmouth jerk-off who happens to have a microphone in front of his face and an internet connection. So it, it never was an it was never an issue for me coming out and and just say, declaring to my Fundy parents and everybody else that I don't believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and I believe it's all, you know, it's all mythology. And I've gone through the stages henceforth of, you know, bitterness and anger and I wasted my life and blah, blah, blah. Now I'm kind of have a more gentle tone to me relative to talking to Christians. I think they always think I'm just the angry atheist. (laughs) But but I think that approach is is sharp. And I think also just the general what I'm hearing about the book and it can be gotten on Amazon. Is that right? That's
8: correct. Yeah, it will be available September 1st anywhere. Well, so you can walk into any bookstore, and if they don't have it, you can order it. Uh, it'll be available on Amazon, you name it.
2: Well, that's awesome. I, I think that it, it's, uh, it seems like you're just – it's really kind of a manual to be teaching your child how to reason, how to think. Look, we're going to give you these facts, and you're going to reason through it with your own, your own brain. You teach a kid how to think, and he'll – if you think for him, you know you know the old fish adage. It's kind of the same thing with teaching someone how to think.
8: Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's again, that's another big uh I think I kind of start off early in the book and say being an atheist parent isn't about teaching your children what to believe or what to think. It's teaching them how to think.
9: Yeah.
8: And uh that's the biggest thing I think I mean I for the most part I could have finished the book right there. <laughs> <laughs> you probably probably wouldn't have sold
2: very many books though.
8: But <laughs> I, I would expand on that idea. <laughs>
2: Well, that's awesome. Listen, uh, I really appreciate you joining us. It's been it's been a good time. I've I've seen you on on the Facebook and on the Twitters for for quite a while, and uh, it's nice actually connecting with you. And you know we don't live we don't live too damn far apart. We're up here in Orange County, and you're uh, just south. So maybe we'll uh, we'll have an episode one time where we get you in studio like we did recently with uh, our mutual friend, the tie that binds, Ryan Bell. Uh, Ryan's
8: great. I finally got I met him for the first time recently. Uh, we got to speak together at an uh, event
2: down here. We were going to go to it and we had something oh, it was a friend's engagement party and it was actually my birthday the next day. It was on the 28th of June, wasn't your thing?
8: Yeah, 27th or 28th, yeah, yeah. something
2: like that. Yeah, that's right. It was the day after and we were uh what, what not able to make it, so. Well, so next it, time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate your time and uh, next time that uh, something comes up where you will be the the man to talk to, we will reach out.
8: Great, I'll be here.
1: Thank you. Uh, thank you very much.
2: That
1: was. I think that was
2: really great. Uh, I think that that uh, that book could really be a useful resource to to not just atheist parents, you know, but agnostics or people who separate the two, agnostic and atheist, but also people who are kind of finding their way out of faith. I think it's uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, especially since the population of non-believers is growing. Yeah. And you see articles, I see articles regularly that say, you know, how do we deal with death as atheists or how do we how do we deal with these things coming out of religion? Because everything is so tied to religion. And when you're coming out of it, you kind of have to learn, well, what are our rituals? What are what do we believe in? What are we going to do?
2: I I also think that just that specific focus that he's focusing specifically on parenting is awesome because you, you know, you've got there's a a, a fucking there's a giant pile of atheist and non-believer and losing your faith. And, you know, from from Harris and Hitchens and Dawkins and all of them and Daniel Dennett. So many famous atheists, but then also your your lesser celebrity types. (laughs) There's millions, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of books out there. And this is awesome because it's dealing with something that's important, very important, is how to raise your child. Because like Louis C.K. says, you're not raising a child. You're raising an adult. You're just doing it when they're a kid. So very important, awesome guest. I'm glad he came on. But it was good. It'd be nice to have him on again when something comes up that's uh, near and dear to his heart. Yes. Good. Good to go. All right. Well, moving on. um, Going back, we're going to do a little bit more talking about Fox News. The department store in America, Target, has decided that they're going to make all of their toy departments gender neutral. And... (laughs) The morning show, the morning circus over there at Fox News with Steve Ducey, Elizabeth Hasselback, and Brian Kilmeade, just—I uh, uh, I don't <laughs> listen. Well, no, I don't. I don't know whether to think that they're hateful fuckers or just ignoramuses. You know, I guess we'll just let the uh, we'll let the audience decide. Plus, one of America's favorite stores target removing
5: boys and girls labels they're going gender neutral whatever that
2: is have the pc police gone too far uh live i'm stopping it
1: the pc police not just
2: that <laughs> they're going gender neutral whatever that is <laughs> fuck you steve doocy you know exactly what it is that just he's being snarky and cockish on purpose it's he's meaning to do it because it panders to his fearful, crazy audience.
10: Well, Target is removing gender labels from its toy and bedding departments after complaints about the products. I know, you know when you walk uh, in and you look up and you f- head to girls' toys or That always or helped things? me. Right. So they've been specifically labeled, prior to this point, uh, boys or girls. But no more.
5: Nope. Elcidas Agui from FOX 13 in Tampa is live outside a Target store where they're going to take down some of those signs, right, Elcidas?
1: Is
9: this going to confuse you? I know it's going to confuse me.
1: <laughs> and they're doing it. These are all just great journalists. It's hateful, <laughs> hateful shit. Is it going to confuse me? <laughs> oh, it's crazy. They're going to take away girl signs and boy signs. <laughs> Well, it's also so this Ugh. this doesn't help Fox News, right? Where people don't believe it's news because this is a morning show, and the entire day is sprinkled with shows like this, and then actual news reporting, and then shows like this.
2: But the but the, the 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 majority of their programming is shit like this, though.
1: Yeah. So this starts out like this in the morning and then they have, you know, that terrible outnumbered show and shows like that. And I got then that, that
2: Gretchen Carlson.
1: Right. And then Shep Smith comes on and then news. you you have some, some normalcy. And then, you know, Bill O'Reilly and Hannity come on and
9: not it, news. it's not
1: good again. So this is the issue that Fox News has with its image right. is this right you, here. You've
2: got Shep Smith and you've got Brett Baer, which are newsmen. <laughs> and then you've got, the, anyway, let's continue with the clip. We're going to run long and I'm going to, have a fucking conniption.
9: It not only at this store here in Tampa, but all Target stores across the country, and they're making these changes because Target received thousands of emails through social media as well, uh, Twitter and Facebook, and, and it's from folks asking this this uh, this this retail store uh, to remove the gender-based signage within the store itself. So Target says it's addressing the issue, uh, and now they're making some changes. But it's not going to happen in the entire store. It's just going to happen in certain departments for example and the kids bedding area signs will no longer state for boys or for girls instead it'll say kids bedding. and the toy aisle they're removing references to gender as well including the use of pink blue yellow and green paper you'll likely see changes in the toy aisle uh, the home department entertainment department as well now in some cases like apparel signage will likely stay the same these changes come in response to customers feedback. Again, Target says over the past year, guests have raised important questions about a handful of signs that offer product suggestions based on gender. And about a couple of months ago, someone tweeted a picture of a sign that said, building set." And below that, it said Girls Building Set. Well, that tweet received thousands of retweets. It got national attention. And now, again, Target is making some changes that made a statement. It says, we heard you and we agree. Right now, our store is working to identify areas where we can phase out gender-based signage to help strike a better balance again expect some of these changes in the next couple of months back to you guys
5: wow right. i'll see down in the tampa area thank you very much yeah so well, to recap uh, yeah. it will
9: be the toys and the bedding and bedding for now it will not
5: be the clothing which is good because you need to know which is which I, i've got I would many, assume how many times have you gone into a store when when i go to buy glasses sure and there are all, all of them up on the on the wall I'll, i will ask the person are these men's or women's exactly
2: either one Listen, Steve Ducey. if you can't tell whether they're men or women's glasses, then it doesn't fucking matter. Why don't you just go with what you like? You stole my point. If you pick up a a pair of ladies' glasses, you clown, then wear them if you like the fucking glasses. Do they have like little princesses on them? No. They're obviously unisex enough that you like them.
1: Or that you couldn't even you couldn't even tell the difference between them, so it doesn't matter. The lady,
2: Then it's clearly it's it's either or, buddy. Yeah, it doesn't
1: matter.
10: I can tell you this: it's probably gonna end up self sorting because when I take my little kids in who weren't able to read at the time, they could find the toys that they wanted without being able to read the labels up there. So I have a feeling that most kids will be able to self sort and figure out what toys they want anyway. But should a letter come in about the clothing, I have a feeling Target would make moves on that. No,
2: uh, who are helping the nine people that are upset by this. If you're going to buy a gift for a boy, no one said anyone was upset. There was no outcry or uproar. It was just some some customers wrote in and made a suggestion. A suggestion is not upset.
1: Well, they're trying to make it into that narrative of what is America offended about today? Right,
5: Exactly who's nine or six, or a girl who's nine or six, you want to be able to go to that section and pick out a toy they might want. Now you have to sit there and look at a blended area and wonder, is this for a boy or is this for a girl? I think what they're saying is the... the...
1: No, what you have to do is... (laughs) Um, You have to know the child that you're wanting to buy the gift for or know their parents. Maybe ask their parents, hey, what does that kid like? You know, what kind of stuff do they like? What do they like to do? And then that will guide you into picking out which gift you need.
2: I don't think it's a big deal either way. I don't even think it's a big deal if there's a boy's toy section. Who cares? But also, it, it matters even less if there's no labels on it. Who cares? Quit acting outraged. It's like the war on Christmas bullshit. Boundaries are down.
5: Boys and girls can Great. play with the same toys now. Fantastic. There's going to be some unhappy girls and unhappy
2: boys now.
10: The critics are saying that it's harmful.
2: What in the fiddle and fuck are unhappy boys and girls going to be? Why? Because they go into the toy section and they they have to walk by a Barbie when they want a Tonka truck or a girl has to walk. You know what? I mean, who ca- it's, no one's going to be unhappy except for you. Except for you, Brian Kilmeade. You guy. <laughs> I don't want to have to play the disclaimer, so I'm trying to calm myself down, Brittany Page.
10: I'm regressive to have the labels on those departments. Let us know what you think about that. We'll stand by on email.
1: So I do think it is, you know, when this, the photo that prompted all this is what they're saying prompted all this says building sets and then right under it, girls building sets on this aisle E-11. Right. Now... That is a weird thing. I mean, why do you need to distinguish? Right. Let's say a boy and a girl are on this aisle and they both want the same building set. I mean, it it, it shouldn't matter. Oh, these ones are for the girls and these ones are for the boys. It's whichever toy right. a child wants, for, the child should get.
2: For me, it's less the issue that Target has made a decision as a business. Obviously, it's in the best interest of their business to do this. It makes le- it matters less to me that they're choosing to do it than the reaction from these assholes who have millions of people watch them every morning and are forming and molding the opinions and reinforcing the bigotry of of an audience. Ugh.
1: Well, it's just weird because, and with the bedding thing too, I remember when I was a kid, my brother had Simpsons bedding and I had like pink flowery bedding and I was jealous of my brother's Simpson bedding because I loved the Simpsons too. And he had, you know, Bart Simpson on a skateboard on his comforter. And I was totally jealous of that.
2: I'm sure your fundamentalist Christian aunt did not like his Simpson bedding.
1: (laughs) she did not like the rate with which we watched and could quote The Simpsons. Right, I
2: bet. All right, we're going to wrap it up with a little bit of this.
1: So, this journalist, is he a journalist? Yeah, this, he's an anchor. A, okay. A
2: Florida From a Florida news program
1: yeah look at look at me not knowing what's going on and you haven't helped me out so this happened on a news program like yes, you said that's right and the topic of the Kardashians came up
2: well I the way I, I, I I'm thinking about this is this guy just he's experiencing Kardashian fatigue
1: which everyone should be experiencing oh,
5: yeah okay I'm having a good Friday so I refuse to talk about the Kardashians today you are on left. your own, Amy. I he can't he do it. I have enough off Kardashians. Down. I
9: can't take any
5: more me. Kardashian okay, stories wait. on this show. So,
1: okay, well we got to get it in now because you mentioned it, John. Kylie Jenner Jeez. got a new. So you can hear Jane. Come here. Uh, so Kylie Jenner got let a new. Me this, while, oh, he left. Left. Let, let me ask you this, John. Oh, he left.
10: Let me ask you this, John, because it'll it'll kind of flow into the story, and you don't have to talk about the Kardashians. How would you like it if your daughter named her pet uh, John? Oh, <laughs> I like would do like that. that. That's exactly what Kylie Jenner did. She got a little gray, beautiful, fluffy rabbit and named it Bruce. Oh, I don't How care. That? This
5: family, I'm sick of this yeah. family.
10: But do you think I can't do <laughs> anymore? Is there something psychological behind this? It's like, a non.
2: For the record, he's off camera. <laughs> he still has his mic, his wireless mic attached, and he's just screaming from off camera.
9: Story. It's she, a non-story. We're talking about this family every freaking day on this show. Nobody so cares about this family anymore. I've had enough. It's Friday. I want to have a good Friday. I don't want to talk about the Kardashians. That's enough That's of these guys. The sad part about we it, it is day. that I agree with Does you. Nobody listened to the research? Nobody cares about the Kardashians anymore. That's not anymore. true. They get, on fire. They get Nobody cares. People watch we do it every breathe. day. Breathe.
10: People watch the show. Breathe, my love. Breathe. There, the yes. news is out. Done. Over. Have a great weekend. I <laughs> think not. it's Friday for him. His
6: head looks like a tomato right now.
9: Yeah. <laughs> Nobody cares about him. He's it's enough shoot. of these guys. I'm
1: sorry, Jenny. That you had to wait. Hangs.
2: Oh, that is so good.
1: Yeah, that's definitely how I feel because I have many friends who like Kim Kardashian on Facebook or you know follow them. And you have that shit
2: forced into your timeline. Yeah. When yeah. they <laughs> like
1: it, and you know I don't like seeing it because. She I don't. Just,
2: she's a zero. She's not a contributor. She's not a talent. She she contributes nothing.
1: Well, she makes selfie books, and I just, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand.
2: It's the ultimate evil. I just it's don't. It's a selfie book. Who's
1: buying that, and why? I don't know. Why are you buying that? I
2: don't know. Well, listen, that is maybe the most positive Florida files we've ever done. <laughs> it wasn't someone shitting on the hood of someone else's car, or... Or murdering someone. Or Over a
1: rotten glass of milk or something.
2: <laughs> throwing pizza and getting arrested for burning someone with hot cheese during a pizza fight. Or
1: stealing someone's pet lizard or, <laughs> I mean, just something crazy.
2: So, with that, we will leave you. As always, you can visit dollamore.com. On the left-hand side of the page, there is an Amazon search bar where you, our loyal audience, can do your shopping. You can go and buy Parenting Without God by Dan Errol from our site, from our Amazon affiliate site, and that would be awesome. It would help him, and it would help us tremendously. Every little bit goes a long way towards supporting your favorite show, Twice weekly, filled with news News. and ridiculous comments. Until next time, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Donald Trump was
7: born on a big pile of money, and he turned it into a bigger pile of money.